Uh, ugh, oh boy, it's just, oh, it's that time of year, you know, the sniffling and the snuffling, it begins, and oh, you just feel like you could do nothing, you, you, you want to crawl into a crypt and uh, just rot away, you feel like that's what your body's slowly doing to you from the inside, isn't that right, Lucas? Yeah, I mean, I you can hear these sultry tones a lot more, you know, I don't usually have this this sort of uh, 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 voice that you're hearing right now. This kind of these. I, it's I've been talking a lot today, uh, and I've been talking a lot while you know ill, and so that's how we get to. I kind of wish my voice was like this all the time, a little bit. I mean, when you it, when you were ill or when you were illin. I was ill. <laughs> oh my goodness, Sue. We've talked about teen slang for two episodes in a row. Now all of a sudden you're trying to. You're trying to get one over on me. <laughs> I got to stay relevant somehow. Well, Lucas, it seems that, you know, your your voice is a little bit maybe in kind of the, um, let's say, in the yellow instead of in the green. I see. I think we need I think we need a little bit more amplification for this episode. I think we need somebody else to talk with us about this episode of Arthur here on Elwood City Limits, the episodic Arthur podcast. You know, and I think that person uh, could stand to be local. Since we are, you know, a celebrated or sh- hopefully soon to be celebrated local podcast. So let's introduce our guest for this episode. We are very happy to have him. He is the um, he is the host of the brand new podcast, The Samurai Pizza Cast. Welcome, Andrew Power. Hey, Andrew. Hey, guys. Thanks so much for having me. I was just, you know, walking by and uh, invited me in and I'm more than happy to be so here. So are you also recovering from a cold? Can we make this a three-peat? Uh, I was kind of sick the last week or so, yeah. Not tremendously so, but I've had a bit of a cough. Th- th- this is how small the Halifax animation podcast world is, is that we actually got our colds from Andrew. <laughs> I I mean, I, I think we'll get into it. I propose maybe the episode that we watched for this podcast has made us sick. <laughs> oh, that's oh, true. T- oh, could very getting... well be. <laughs> I, I, definitely... I don't know if germs go through... YouTube, but maybe. Well, that's well. You know what? Oh, geez, man, it's it's right. It's 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 right there. There's there's this there's the sick, and then there's the chicken to make you feel better. Hmm. What? <laughs> chicken soup. I don't know where I was going with that one. I, <laughs> Andrew, I, you are uh, well, among many things. You were the host of the new Samurai uh, Pizza Cast podcast, which Lucas and I have both checked out, and we highly recommend. Can you tell us a little bit about? Uh, first of all, uh, who you are, and if you have anything else besides the podcast, uh, can you tell us about that? And finally, tell us about the Samurai Pizza Cast. Ah, yeah, sure. Um, yeah, my name's Andrew. I work in Halifax uh, in the animation industry. I've been uh, working around here for a little over a decade now on various uh, cartoons that we make around Halifax. Uh, I've worked on stuff like Teen Titans Go, uh, Pickle and Peanut for Disney. Uh, the Trailer Park Boys cartoon for the other side of it. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, but, go ahead. Uh, as of now, I'm also a podcaster because, you know, I looked around Halifax and I said, you know what this town needs? It needs a podcast where a bunch of people talk about an old cartoon. <laughs> There's a void that needs to be filled, <laughs> and I just don't see it, you know? Aww. Well, okay. Yeah, that's a, this is an invasion angle, boys. <laughs> I'm here to start a feud. Yeah, did your, did your podcast where a couple of people talk about an old cartoon also originally start as a wrestling podcast and then uh, kind, of, kind of shift as well? 
Uh, no, as much as I have uh, attempted to get my co-hosts into wrestling, that has not quite happened yet. But if anything, it might turn into a wrestling podcast. We'll see. Uh, so, yeah, you decided to do this. Uh, if, and if you couldn't tell, it's about the uh, eight, uh, nine, like early 90s anime, the Samurai Pizza Cats. Now, I don't, exa- I don't remember if that was the name... The Japanese name, so uh, you got you guys kind of uh, uh, do a little do a little bit of both, but that's what uh, that's what you decided to kind of uh, ta- inform the world about. Yeah, it's a it's an idea for a podcast that I've wanted to do for years now, just because it's a it's a very specifically bizarre show. Mm. It's from the early '90s when a lot of anime was being brought over, but wasn't being translated especially well or accurately. Oh, like they were no. really still figuring that out. And Pizza Cats is this very particular case where, by all accounts, they didn't seem to have a lot of the materials necessary. Mm. So in a lot of episodes, it's very clear that the English writers are just sort of winging it and just writing in whatever they want. Right. I'm I'm getting I'm getting so, like flashbacks of the Digimon movie and the stellar dubbing in that in that film. Yeah, but literally imagine the same people that brought Digimon over years prior before they even gotten that good oh before they knew what they were doing oh my god and with less to work with now in fairness i did watch the hell out of samurai pizza cats when i was little so this was a this it's been really fun to listen to the podcast and kind of remember uh kind of the earlier episodes yeah it's been a real trip to go back to like i've revisited it here and there throughout my life but this actually sitting down and watching through the entire thing episode by episode and really picking it apart has really made me realize just how truly bizarre the show is. Mm, Sounds familiar. I'm not sure if I can relate. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I know. Maybe you guys are... Yeah, you <laughs> don't really have a point of comparison. Yeah, yeah you, know. you lost me there. Well, Andrew, we're happy to have you here. And of course, if you haven't yet checked out, check out the Samurai Pizza Cast. Uh, see, see, that's the thing is that I I make fu- I make fun of uh, when I listen to the Giant Beast Cast. I make fun of the way that Vinny says Beast Cast because sometimes it sounds like Beast Cats to me. And now it's coming back yeah. on me because I keep saying Samurai Pizza Cats, but I mean Cast. Ugh. Yeah, if anything, I started the show just because the title just sort of is sitting there waiting to be used, and it was someone. It was to. very good. I I really yeah. have to give you props for that one. So someone's got a squad <laughs> on that GoDaddy webpage, and and might as well be you, right? Ooh, I should do that before you put this episode up. Good point. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so Andrew, we're ha- again happy to have you here. Maybe you can even give us some like anime animation uh, insights into Arthur. I feel like every time Lucas and I talk about animation, we're a bit um, under underinformed as to how to speak on it intelligently yeah i've definitely worked on a lot of show like i'm currently working on a show that's pretty much in the same uh ballpark as arthur Ooh. so this is <laughs> this sort of thing is kind of my life at the moment mm. i and uh so in just a sec here we're going to get into our emails but that reminds me that as of this week that we're recording uh it was in 1996, this week, so it, that's, hang on to, well, mental math, 23 years ago that Arthur first debuted. How, I saw- um, so, I'm, I'm sorry to cut you off, Lucas, so I was, I was six, Lucas, I said that you were a baby in our social media post, but how old were you in 1996, October? I was, uh, October of 1996, I was the ripe old age of one. 
It's all huge. <laughs> I, I I was like, he's probably like one or two. But like, yeah. I didn't want to guess. And Andrew, uh, how old were you? Uh, I would have been 10 years old, which now makes me feel like an ancient grandpa. <laughs> I, I, I promised one of our listeners I'd cool it on the age jokes because apparently there are people <laughs> who are older than me who listen to this podcast. I'm sure they don't appreciate uh, me, me, me hating how old I am. So I'm going to I'm going to bring <laughs> it down. OK, did you? Uh, I mean, our- I mean, then again, Will, we did have people write in saying uh, that they were younger than me, but I was making them feel old when we were talking about TikTok a couple weeks ago. So. <laughs> Uh, I, I found the fountain of youth, and it's keeping up with TikTok culture. Uh, so, Andrew, what is your history with Arthur specifically? Uh, I think I definitely watched a fair bit of Arthur when it came out, despite the fact that I was at least several years out of the demographic mm-hmm. when it debuted. Uh, but, I mean, I, I kind of have the excuse that I went on to work in cartoons and, like, kids entertainment. So, <laughs> the fact that I've been watching... Yeah, I mean, like, that happens to me sometimes of, like, I was just listening to a podcast me. where they were like, yeah, when I turned 14 so I get away with it. and I watch Yu-Gi-Oh!, I was like, I'm too old for this. And I'm, like, here, 17, watching Yu-Gi-Oh! and being like, this is cool. Yeah. So... I also had... I also have, like, younger siblings. Oh, yeah. So, even stuff that I might not have watched on my own, <laughs> I probably... <laughs> watched way more of than I needed to. Right. Arthur, I think I probably just watched of my own volition, though. Fair enough. I mean, as we have uh, eight seasons of proof that... Uh, So before we get into the episode, we always like to answer some emails over at elwoodcitylimits at gmail.com. That's where our listeners uh, send us feedback on the show and on Arthur itself. Uh, This is an interesting one. So I'm guessing that this person that we got here, uh, it's signed Confused in Tennessee, and they have an and I have a question about episode 16. So we're going all the way back to season one. Uh, in episode 16, it was about Arthur eating way too much sugary cereal. But then the plot changed a little. I don't understand why they were trying to make a band. Please answer. So I'm guessing this is the the um, the crunch cereal jingle contest, Lucas. Right, right. I'm, I'm. It's all flooding back to me now. I can see the, uh, uh, like the sixteen wheeler backing up to Arthur's house, dumping out the mountain of boxes of crunch cereal. I can see it in my mind's eye. This was three years ago. We talked about that. Uh, two years ago, we <laughs> talked about this. Uh, okay. Yes, yeah, so they were. They were. They were starting a band because they wanted to make a jingle because he wanted to win a year's supply crunch of crunch cereal. cereal. Yeah. And then they were in the warehouse, right? And then they had, like, kind of a motley crew. Uh, uh, there was, like, I think they had the lunch lady was in their band. Is that correct? Grandma Thora was in the band. Grandma Thora was in the band. Um, I, for, I, I forget if Mrs. McGrady was in the band. I feel but, like there was some there was some randos in the band where it was like, for sure. why are you hanging out with these kids? <laughs> yeah. yeah, so, uh, yeah, they wanted to make a band because Arthur wanted the year's supply of crunch cereal. So he worked really hard on it. And then in the end, it was DW's idea that catapulted him to success. Uh, great episode, by the way. 
We also got an email here from Norbert called Creepy Pasta Fern. So about Fernkenstein's monster, for once in my life, I am 100% behind DW. Arthur and pals are a bunch of weenies, and Fern should not change her stories to appease their cowardice. Agreed, 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 100% agreed. Absolutely. Uh, Andrew, in our previous episode, it was it was about uh, uh, the character Fern uh, creating s- stories so scary that the kids were like legitimately free out and calling her the queen of darkness uh not the king of darkness uh but everything is evil and uh yeah so they were saying that she should make her stories nicer and lucas and i were very much against that she needs to live her truth absolutely (laughs) especially scary art there's a part in the the third act of that episode where they kind of start crowd writing (laughs) uh fern stories like everybody's contributing and it makes them significantly worse (laughs) yeah uh, also, Fern and DW would definitely end up as internet famous creepypasta or r slash no sleep authors. Mm. Oh yeah, That's we a- talked. We we talked about how they would be making SCPs. Yes, yes, that's right. Uh, well, that sounds about right for Fern. I, 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 I would probably drive myself crazy reading one of her one of uh, one of her creepy pastas. I'm sure, and then that would probably be one of the ones that they pick up for Channel Zero. Vaguely familiar. The nobody, uh, nobody, um, nobody nobody watched Channel Zero. Okay, oh, okay. I'm not okay, I'm not familiar I'm not familiar with Channel Zero. It's a um, it's, it's a it's a horror television show where the seasons are based off of like popular uh, creepy pasta. Like I just watched right. the first season. Oh. It's based it's based off of the uh, the Candle Cove story. Is that the is that the show with the guy, the guy's got teeth all over him? He done got yes, teeth all it, over his face. Yeah, there's yeah there's, oh, there's, a, okay. there's a monster made of teeth. Okay, Let's I don't see. know. I I, I feel like. You know, a part of me likes to think, not to say that creepypasta is low art or anything, but mm. a part of me thinks that, like, cre- uh, uh, you know, Fern's a little bit more of, like, a, a novel type, a, a fully fleshed out story. I, I just can't <laughs> see her talking about, like, ooh, I found this haunted N64 cartridge uh, <laughs> a, 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 from a, a yard sale. You know what I mean? I just, I feel like that might be not below Fern, but not necessarily her her genre. Perhaps. Or maybe one of the kids would really get into, like, uh, programming a Slenderman game. Oh, that I could see. That I could see. What One of them will make a Five Nights at Freddy's knockoff. Oh, absolutely. Uh, Five Nights in the Sugar Bowl. Oh, there you go. <laughs> All right. So th- those are our emails over at ElwoodCityLimits at gmail.com. And one more time, before we get into the episode, we just want to take a moment to thank our lovely patrons, which include the likes of Aaron DeFilippo, Alex, Caitlin Harrington, Shander LaFave Boten, Christine Wong, and Christopher Ifill, Sierra S, Crescent Fresh, Dan Mike Dawson Silva. Hey, by the way, Dan uh, played uh, Later Alligator. That game is awesome. Emily Kay, uh, Froppy, Ian Collison, Jake Bailey, Joe Sue, John Du. Long, John Griswold, uh, we've got Kat, we've got Kalen Krogall, Kevin Noon, Kristen, Leanne S., Light Relentless, Macy Ball, Michaela Gibson, Riley Stevens, Ross Ward, Shayna Bennett, Stella, Teresa, and William. And if I missed your name, uh, yell at me in our Discord, please and thank you. Okay, guys, let's get into it. You mentioned, Andrew, that perhaps this is the episode, This is perhaps this is Patience Zero, that made us sick because this episode is literally vomitrocious. Uh, we're, are, first of all, Andrew, are you familiar with the term vomitrocious? Uh, I'm not sure that I've come across that specific term. I didn't know that it was uh, already in play. 
So it's a so it's a saying of Muffy on the show. That's that's kind of her that's kind of her catchphrase is vomit. Oh, that's yeah, I remember that now. Okay, v- vomit and atrocious. It's it's actually not too bad. I bet I, I would I would love to see the the writers' room uh, thinking up all of the also rans of vomitrocious. <laughs> I, I guarantee you, there are some foul things on that whiteboard. Something like puketacular or uh, you know. And, yeah, and I we, mean. Uh, I mean, vomitrosis. It's not quite as bad to be like the name of like a like a gore grind or like a, a like a like a power violence band, but like <laughs> it, maybe like like a kids' bop version of like a porno grind band or something. Vomitrosis <laughs> is almost there, but not not quite past that Rubicon. Somebody Photoshop us that album cover, please. And yeah, thank you. I want the word vomitrosis like uh, white text on a black T-shirt, but it's like completely illegible. Dude, new T-shirt design for the store. There you go. There you go. There you go. <laughs> Uh, original original uh, content. Do not steal. Do not yeah, steal. Do yeah. not steal. <laughs> That's right. And good reminder: if you go to the Elwood City Limits Teespring, uh, offer code Binky. It's thirty percent off all October. Big, big, good uh, reminder. Big things popping, little things dropping on the Elwood City Limits Teespring store. Uh, so we start off the episode. Everybody, the kids are talking about kind of the most disgusting things that they can think of. Uh, some one of them says, I think Buster says, cat whiskers. Are cat whiskers that okay. disgusting? Okay, so yeah, lots of things to take to talk about here. So everybody's talking about the things they find most disgusting, okay? First of all, uh, of course Arthur's disgusted by baby diapers. This is very Freudian. We've already established that Arthur's biggest anxiety <laughs> in life is being a baby. So, of course, what most disgusts him is the physical manifestation of that anxiety, which is that, baby diapers. Mm-hmm. That's a season uh, one That's a season one character point. Yeah, like, yeah for we sure, learned very for sure, early for sure. on. Arthur does not want to be a baby. Uh, secondly, I mean, I hate to bring up the animal hierarchy again and, and, you know, the difference between funny animals and regular animals and all that jazz, but when Buster says he's disgusted by cat whiskers, is he talking about a four-legged cat like Francine's cat Nemo? Oh. Or is Buster referring to the physical features of his peers? In which case, is Buster racist? <laughs> <laughs> oh. I really hope it's the former. The, these really are the do. questions. <laughs> yeah, the no, believe me, for three years, these are the questions. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, 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 th- I think I think like Nemo. I, I'm thinking more like Nemo just for the record. I don't I want to believe that eight year old Buster Bas- Baxter doesn't have a racist bone in his body. No, I, yeah. I agree. I mean, yes, I agree. And the most disgusting thing they can think of is. Oh, poor George. He's the he's the he's the butt monkey of the show again. He so he comes into the cafeteria with a nosebleed and everybody freaks out. Which is too bad. I also get nosebleeds, so like I'm kind of used to it, but it's like he even he even says like every, everybody starts laughing at him. He's just like I can't help it. It's just a little blood. I mean, yeah, when I was a kid, like a nosebleed, I can understand George's feelings of like, oh, like this is, you know, everybody's looking at me. I have a nosebleed. You're panicked. I feel like now as a grown adult who hardly ever gets nosebleeds, whenever I get a nosebleed, it's like, ooh, time to make some weird Instagram posts. You know what I mean? Like, I, I could really, like, uh, use this for clout. <laughs> <laughs> You've learned how to turn it into money. That's the key. That's the key. Exactly. That What a great Instagram post that would be, right? I got a huge nosebleed, and I'm holding up money to my ear like like Playboy Cardi, like the buddy phone. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, this is just another post from my twisted mind. Uh, I was so- thinking Andrew, Andrew WK, but again, that's, yeah. Uh, mm. yeah. I, I was, when I sat down to watch the episode, I was a little surprised at, like, 
you know, I was wondering, oh, I wonder what episode of Arthur I'll get. And apparently I got the grossest one. I don't know if there's... <laughs> it's it, it's up there. Lucas, I'm trying to think if there's any more disgusting episode than this. Uh, there's, there is one where, where Arthur almost gets digested. Uh, I mean, oh, in, yeah. in, in my clown. mind, this, this is the most... One of the first episodes me and you ever talked about was the one where they, they go to that theme park and they're, like, obsessed with barf. Like, they're, like, fixated on it. Like barf they're like, oh, bags. Yeah, yeah, they're, like, all excited about barf bags. And there's, like, a close-up shot of, like, a dripping barf bag. By the way, I guess disclaimer, I know a lot of people eat while they eat, read, walk, listen to podcasts. This might not be the best episode to have your meal uh, during <laughs> because, by my goodness, have there? I don't think there's ever been so many different types of bodily fluids on Arthur in quick succession. Because we, like, the, the speed for which there's such whiplash in in the speed we we get uh, uh, blood to just vomit, like, immediately, one after another. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. Like, did David Cronenberg direct this episode of Arthur? <laughs> uh, I, I was not expecting to see blood when I sat down to watch Arthur. Yeah. So I was excited that I got, like, the Sega Genesis version of the episode with the blood turned back on. <laughs> well, it's true. Like, uh, when I saw that, that opening shot of uh, uh, George looking at the blood on his nose and hand, and it's just, like, bright red blood, which you're not used to seeing in, in a show like Arthur, I was like, where have I seen this before? And I was like, oh, Will, do you remember when I showed you that Arthur Death Grips video? Yes. That and so that's where I'd seen this clip before. Is that that clip is prominently used in that Arthur Death Grips A N V. Okay, so you've you so you've said it out loud. I have to watch that video after we're done. Oh uh, yeah, I, it's one of the best videos of the internet. It's fantastic, uh, Andrew. Andrew, I'll send you the link after we're done. <laughs> I'm very excited for whatever that might be. Yeah, so George has got this nosebleed. It, it actually is like the same color as ketchup, which uh, uh, we get we get here some season one era Francine. This is bad. She like immediately zeroes in on George and like really instigates everybody making fun of him. But at least she gets immediate comeuppance because uh, eventually Sue Ellen gives him an, a napkin for his nosebleed. And then people are like egging on Francine like yeah like keep making fun of George he sucks Get him. and then yeah and Francine is going to but then out of nowhere she just horks in the middle of the cafeteria for everybody to see she turns away from the camera so we don't see any of it but we do hear the noise um, that- it's, 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 so I got to point out what's crazy about this. And this actually ends up making a lot more sense once we get to the conclusion of this episode, but everyone's kind of lauding, uh, Francine for her excellent, quote unquote, excellent George impression. And it's like really, really bad, but like, she got like choice. Lo- she says like, I want to bleed all over your food. And then like, Ugh. I think it's Prudella is like, you sound just like him. <laughs> <laughs> he says that all the time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Uh, so, uh, yeah, Francine, uh, barfs in front of everybody, which is, uh, super embarrassing, and she has to go to the nurse's office, which it seems like it's not, she's not sick or anything, but it's, uh, just a, hopefully a one-time thing. She goes home for the rest of the day. Um, I, uh, I like how I, when, after Francine's barfed and then, like, uh, they're cleaning, they're cleaning it up and Mr. Rapper just kind of comes by with some air freshener. I I'm helping. <laughs> um. So yeah, when, back at home, Lucas. You. I wonder if you noticed this. Did you Did you notice Catherine's new voice? I uh, I really really did. Uh. And I kind of as the episode went on, not to be a you know 
not to be overly negative or anything, but I, I, I don't know. I kind of miss the old Catherine voice. Um, this Catherine voice just kind of reminds me of a lot of the male students' voices, where what I really liked about Catherine's old voice was that it had, like, the distinct sound of, like, an older teenager. She kind of talked yeah. differently. Like, she used different words, and she enunciated differently than the other kids. And I think it really added, like, credibility to her, kind of her role of that much older teenage sister. Uh, mm-hmm. Whereas now she just kind of sounds like you know, Brain's voice actor or, or, or Arthur's voice actor, right? Um, mm-hmm. So I, it had me kind of missing the old voice. Me too. As, 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 as much as, this, as the new voice is not doing a bad job or anything, I think we just got used to that over so many seasons. But Catherine here, of course, is zeroing in on an embarrassing Francine moment and uh, not exactly helping. Uh, she's talking about how... In her school, yeah, in her school, there was a fellow who barfed in front of everything, and for the rest of that, uh, for the rest of their lives, essentially, he was known as Lucas Pucus. Yeah, so, um, I don't know, have we talked about this on the show before, how, like, whenever someone's like, oh, like, if I've worked, like, um, you know, at a, at barista jobs and stuff where they're like, oh, put your nickname on the tip cup. Like, what's your nickname? And the yeah. only thing I can think of that people call me other than my name is Pucus. Oh, uh, no, they call you that? I, I've been, well, not anymore. It's not like a regular occurrence, but there was an era in my life, let's say grade 12 of high school to mm, 2017-ish, that I was puking a lot, and so I I got the name Pucus. Don't worry. No, no, no. No, No, well, do not be worried. It is not because of any sort of physical ailment. It is all because of choices of my own accord, okay? Mm. So no need Uh... need to – it is a nickname I earned, let's say. (laughs) You came by it honestly. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so it was it was a different situation as as you know I kind of wore it with a badge of honor as opposed to uh, uh, this kind of um, as Catherine's describing every school has a puke kid. <laughs> and um, I mean I mean Pucus is if you're proud of Pucus that's not a bad alt Halloween name for Twitter. That's true. I mean Bucus is still I, I got the Bucus going. Mm. Uh, but, yeah, you can't change but, it now. Yeah, yeah, but Pucus maybe next year. Uh, so yeah, Lucas Pucus. Like I froze. Wait, 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 wait. Before I, we I, move on, before we move on, is Catherine's oh, yeah. theory right? Will and Andrew, did you guys have a puke kid at your school? I assume I was the one at mine. Uh, uh, and Andrew, uh, uh, I, I need I need a second to think. Uh, I can't really. I have a terrible memory, so I very well could have had one and just long forgotten about him. Because, like I said, I am a decrepit old man. So, okay, I'm going to say no, we didn't have a puke kid, but uh, when I was in uh, college for radio uh, the year after Lucas, one of my uh, colleagues, who is a good friend of mine, uh, a bunch a bunch of us in the class went out to like a local bar, and he ate a bunch of hot dogs before, and then slammed a bunch of beers, and came back from the bathroom and puked up his hot dogs. I am. I'm gonna. We both. I'm gonna need you to tell me who that person is after the show. <laughs> I will. T- I will tell you. I will tell you. Okay. Okay. But I will not implicate them on the world wide web. Yeah. 
Uh, so, she, you know, Catherine's getting her ready for the fact that, like, when she goes back to school, she's going to be the puke kid. People are going to be calling her, like, Barfine, which I, f- I felt Barfine was a little uninspired, but it does lead into a very funny uh, comment later. And that basically everybody, she's going to be a social pariah. So Francine's all ready to be mad when she goes back to school. In fact, she has this, like, little, she has a dream where, like, she goes back to school and then everybody, like, 28 days later style puts on, like, a like a, a a breathing mask, and uh, uh, they call her so, Barfine. So not only that, she walks in on Muffy opening an envelope and saying, it mid-sentence, the disgusting person of the year award goes to. <laughs> Which, the implication here is that, like, what bad luck is that you do the grossest thing of the year the day before they're giving away the... Like, if she had waited <laughs> one more day, she would have, like, missed out on the disgusting uh, person of the year award, and then she would have to have been eligible. It's like when uh, Kendrick Lamar's Good Kid, Mad City came out, like, so late in the album cycle that it was like a year later when it was up for the Grammy and everybody had forgotten about it and that Macklemore album won the Grammy. It's like that kind of situation. Uh, what I'm saying is uh, uh, Francine's the, the Kendrick Lamar of being disgusting. Or no, actually, Francine's the Macklemore of being disgusting. Even worse. <laughs> I, was, I, was, I, was thinking, I was thinking Barf Kid Mad City. Oh, there you go. Barf Kid Elwood City. There you this go. Is, this is very like uh, this episode's full of great like Garbage Pail Kids, Weird Al tier of, of humor. <laughs> yeah, it's them get it's it's them getting to roll around in the muck a little bit, get all get all dirty. So and and in that dream, she is like ferried off to like a clean room with like the rest of the disgusting children. She's putting quarantine. Just, yeah, <laughs> and it's just George there with toilet paper in his nose, just saying, "Welcome, Barfine." So this is her. Her worst fear is that she has to be socially ostracized with George, and it couldn't get any worse than that. So she goes to school the next day, and everybody is really nice to her. Like, they're being, uh, you know, they're asking her if she's okay. Buster gets, what's the first thing that Buster gets her? Oh, so, like, yeah, Buster busts out. I loved this. My favorite thing running joke throughout this entire episode is, like, how just, like, overtly nice Buster is being and, like, Francine completely misunderstanding his intentions. So, like, Buster literally just has, like, a bouquet of flowers and, like, giant smile on his face. And he's like, oh, we got you flowers, Francine. We all are so, like, concerned about you. Uh, And just, like, the contrast of, like, Francine is, like, super on the defensive and Buster's just trying to be as nice as possible. Yeah, and everybody is really is being as nice to her as as they can. And this is kind of the through line of the episode. I found it really interesting that this is uh, Francine seeing the BS of, like, social structures. Like, people treat her better than George because she's popular, which is the point of the episode. But I just find it interesting when she's just like, I know what you're all thinking. You think I'm disgusting and all this. And they genuinely don't, but it's because she's better regarded than i guess george what a loser but she's also she's also getting this like psychological thing whenever she thinks about or somebody mentions george's nosebleed uh there's like a little violin sting did you guys notice this like when she like has to cover her mouth and run to the bathroom it's just like and it's it, it, it started it started making me anxious i was just like oh i don't i don't like that it's like it puts me on edge it's uh, it's it's yeah, it's like it's like dead space or something. You know what I mean? Like it's like, <laughs> oh, here comes the puke. 
Yeah, it's it's or yeah, oh man, I wish I could think of like another. Yeah, it's like when you hear the tank music in Left for Dead, it's just like, oh yeah. no, <laughs> Mister X Francie. is around somewhere looking for. Yeah, <laughs> exactly, exactly, exactly. Mister X comes out comes out of the bathroom. Yeah. Uh, so Francine is she runs to the bathroom, thinks she's going to be sick, but then she isn't. So it's kind of like uh, almost a psychological thing. Um, there's some inter- also some interesting new music stings, and uh, Lucas, I wanted to know if you picked up on this. There's like a when Francine's in class, there's like this real funky bass line. Yeah, I noticed like um, there were some parts actually where I was kind of distracted by the music. Like there's one I, I don't I wish I had wrote it down. There's one moment in this episode where I think it's like Francine scrambling to go to the bathroom or something, and there's like uh, a really just a bunch of things happen in quick succession, and there's like a real uh, a brand new music sting where it's like very much like when when things have that kind of wacky uh, jazz drumming where it's like oh a lot's happening, something's happening. Uh, it was one of those. Right. Uh, so Francine's still very much on edge about her friends treating her differently behind her back. Um, I think it was it was at this point in the episode that, you know, they've talked about George's nosebleeds uh, so much, uh, in refer- especially in reference to Francine. D- d- I, I, who wants to bet that George's nosebleeds never show up again? Oh, oh, I, I'll, I, I think that's good money. That's good money. That, that's... Uh, I I will absolutely take that bet. I so Andrew, everyone every once in a while, Arthur's known for like introducing something that seems to be like a real big character beat or like supporting character, and they like never show up again. Yeah, Andrew, sure. what were you gonna say? What were you gonna say? Uh, I was actually gonna ask you guys like if his nosebleeds were an established thing already, or if that was new. Well, see, the weird thing is that, like, George, they treat George here as, like, a real pariah, like he's an outcast. This is kind of new. Like, George is a little, uh, he's a a little odd. He's not in the main cast of characters. Like, like in the first, in George's first episode, when he's got the ventriloquist dubby, he's absolutely on the outs with everybody. Yeah, that was his thing, right. But, 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 but from then on, like... You know, in the episode where he's got dyslexia, or there's there's multiple episodes where he is amongst the friend group. So this is kind of a shift in the character. And even when he had the when he had the dummy, it was more just like nobody really noticed him. He was just kind of awkward. But it wasn't. But he wasn't like, you know, getting tomatoes thrown at him or anything. And certainly nothing about nosebleeds, which they just had to uh, kind of scare up for this episode. Uh, so again, Francine uh, is really on the defensive here and she does a thing where she's eating with everybody and then fakes that she's going to barf and then everybody kind of slides away from her and she's just like, aha, I knew it. Like you, like you think I'm disgusting, but in fairness to Francine's friends, I wouldn't want to risk getting barf on my food either. Like, yeah, it no, doesn't that, mean that I don't like you. That is a reasonable response. <laughs> It doesn't mean I don't like you. It's just like you can't control that stuff when it's about to come out. We don't know. Maybe she's maybe she's got a stomach bug. I don't. Know. Uh, <laughs> this this does lead to a great Francine line. You know what's even more disgusting than someone puking in the cafeteria? Phonies. Yeah, uh, Francine hate. Francine hates fake friends. You know what I'm saying? She ain't about that. She ain't about. I'm. Do you know what I'm sick and tired? For I agree with Francine. Fake people. You know what I'm saying? It's this is the most um, Francine has sounded like like a Drake lyric. You know what I mean? <laughs> They're not real like she is. Exactly. I'm so sick of these phonies. 
<laughs> and then we have this amazing line where like uh, Binky comes out, and I I feel like at this point the writers have finally uh, maybe they've always known what we've known, which is that Binky is the best character on the show by by a wide wide margin. Mm. Um, and um, you know, he, this isn't a starring role for him like we were talking about last week with last week's episode. Uh, he just kind of pops up in this one moment, but God. When Binky's on screen, it's always just such a highlight because he goes, "Oh man, that like that time you barfed yesterday was so awesome." And Francie's like, "See, Binky's real. <laughs> Binky's real. Binky's the real one." <laughs> oh, uh, and, and, like there's yeah. no putting on airs with Binky. <laughs> So, speaking of Binky, Andrew, I'm just kind of curious. We can talk about this a bit later once we've uh, uh, gotten this far into the episode. But by now, you've kind of seen a few of the characters. Was there anybody you were particularly gravitating towards? Uh, I was a little surprised, actually, in this episode. It was like, I remember a lot of the major characters, but mm-hmm. I found myself really actually sort of relating to George a lot in a way that I don't think I'd put together before. Okay. So, cause my middle name is George. I'm originally from Newfoundland. And I was a very awkward child, mm-hmm. so seeing this moose named George just being real ostracized all the time, I was like, "Hey, Arthur, maybe back off a bit, all right?" Well, it's. It, I think it's funny. Uh, Lucas and I kind of found out very early on that there are t- character types within the show that I think are still very easy to relate to. Like me personally, I actually relate to Arthur a lot because he clearly has anxiety. And mm. it's 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 very evident as an adult. And Lucas, uh, would I be correct in saying that you kind of gravitated towards Buster a bit more? I, w- I would I would say as much. You know what I mean. Buster is my my chaotic good brethren. Yeah. So I, I so I think that uh, I definitely see what you're talking about with George. He kind of fits in with the uh, the mold of your typical maybe outsidery awkward kid yeah and that and that i think that in, in a way he's he's almost in every version of that kid because we because we can all some a lot of us can relate to that as well but there's a very particular uh thing about it that uh, you you feel you related to yeah i mean like i never had a ventriloquist dummy but i do now have an anime podcast which i think is equivalent <laughs> That's that's the uh yeah that's the podcast equivalent of a ventriloquist dummy absolutely <laughs> I bet you there's a weird kid in elementary school who has a podcast, and everybody's like, "Ew, why don't you play Fortnite, you weirdo?" <laughs> uh, so Francine goes home. She's dejected. She thinks everybody thinks that she's disgusting, and uh, Catherine sa- calls her Barfine. And Francine's like, "Where did you hear that?" And she- and Catherine's like, "Well, it actually makes the most sense. Pukine lacks poetry, and Ralphine is too confusing." <laughs> Ralphine sounds like medication. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I gotta oh. get my my prescription filled for my Ralphine. Uh, yeah, a real ninety a real nineties kid prescription for when you totally spaz out. Get your Ralphine. <laughs> yeah, are uh, you are you gonna hurl? Take your Ralphine before your flight. Are you gonna toss your cookies, man? Oh my Just God. grab some Ralphine. I feel like do kids still find puke funny? Like I feel like as a society, like the garbage pail kids thing, like that's very. It's all very 1997. Like I, 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 do kids even like find that like if I don't know. Like I, I don't talk. To, I, I suppose I'm. I don't talk to a lot of nine year olds. Like if they're like, oh bro, I'm gonna hurl. Like is that funny to them? I don't know. I'm not sure. It does remind me of like 
there really was a zenith for the barfing industry. Like there was a, I remember there was a series of books when I was little called Pukorama, and they were all like, oh god, these disgusting covers of like dirty diapers and this guy is barfing, and it's just like, ugh, in the retrospect. But as a, but as a kid, I guess it was funny, or just I don't know why, and I and I really can't speak to it today. Yeah, I think that's kind of waned off. Like, that was the real sort of Nickelodeon mid-90s mm. aesthetic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's probably a good part of it as well. Gross-out humor was kind of uh, a lot bigger, I feel, when we were kids. Now, that I could be missing out on some uh, on some real gross-out treasures, perhaps. But like you said, Lucas, with the Garbage Pail Kids, and even with less, like, I think of, like, Ren and Stimpy and stuff like that, or Rugrats, there was definitely some disgust humor elements to that as well. Uh, so Francine uh, sees people, sees uh, like Prunella and one of the nameless extras making fun of George as he's uh, having uh, a nosebleed. And so Francine decides to enlist his help. Uh, she goes over to his house and he is immediately suspicious, which I, I felt this was like a little too real of George, like constantly being on edge and thinking that Francine's playing a joke on him. And because Francine's like, do you want to go to the sugar bowl? And he's like, and he's like, why? And he's like, you know, because we're friends. And George goes, we're friends? <laughs> um, so they go to the Sugar Bowl, and the whole thing is like Francine trying to pal up to him in order to figure out uh, how she, – she asks him, how do you do it? Like, how do you deal with the fact that everybody finds you disgusting? Which is such a wonderfully privileged thing to ask. <laughs> it. I, and I think it's I think it's right on for what they're going for. Francine just straight up doesn't recognize how her popularity gets her better treatment until George literally says, "Because you're popular, that's why nobody." He says, "Nobody makes fun of you because you're popular." And then Francine's like, "Well, that's not fair." And it's just like it's just hitting her now of like she was doing something wrong. But honestly, like I've been in this a similar position to this before. Like you really don't get it until somebody's like, "Hey." What you're doing is hurtful, and you're like, "Oh, right, you're a person. I'm sorry." <laughs> a very, a very little kid thing to happen, I think. Uh, so while they're at the sugar bowl, uh, everybody else comes in, and everybody is like completely shocked that Francine is even being seen with George. It's again, it's like he's not normally treated like the friggin hunchback of Notre Dame it's not like he's the bell ringer or something he's normally not this much of an of a social outcast Andrew. oh I think I, I think this was the moment that I was thinking of with the uh with the, the the music stig where it's like we get everyone's shocked faces uh and then like Francine elbows George in the friggin nose which is like okay I know that George is like a nosebleed problem but my nose would like bleed if that happened to me as well uh mm-hmm. and then she like sprints into the ba- bathroom because she's about to vomit and this all happens within the span of like three seconds. And while she's in the bathroom, she hears everybody making fun of George, which I mean, li- listen, I know what I just said. Like they're, they're kids like this kind of thing happens, but it's just like everybody kind of ganging up on him and just making fun of him while he's just trying to have an, an ice cream soda. It just seems really uncharacteristically mean of everybody. Well, yeah, especially because, like, Arthur and Buster are there as well, and that's, like, like with, like, Muffy and, like, Prunella, that's, like, well within their characters, but yeah. uh, especially not Arthur, you wouldn't, it's it's kind of uncharacteristic of him. 
what is funny, though, is when Francine comes back outside and then she tries to defend George. And the kids are so not used to Francine being nice that they think it must be sickness-induced. <laughs> right. <laughs> Francine is this real Andrew Francine is this real like mean streak she's often she's at she's equal parts main character but also like head bully sometimes so we do get these little like whiplashy uh moments here did it seem weird that like we were trying to play both sides of the fence here with Francine yeah I mean I, I think you see that a lot with shows especially the ones that run long enough and are kind of episodic in nature like you see it a lot in the Simpsons or any sort of more sitcom style show where sometimes for the purposes of the plot, some characters are going to have to get tweaked a little bit like the whole time, you know, watching Arthur as part of the group ragging on George is like, look, Arthur, I know enough about you to know you should not be throwing stones in this glass house. All right. Absolutely. And then, so this Arthur episodes sometimes are a bit guilty of wrapping up really quickly and this one is one of the quickest that I can remember, in, at least in recent memory. Uh, Francine comes out of the bathroom and says, you know, stop making fun of George. And that's that's basically it. Like, like it's like, you know, you shouldn't make fun of him because he gets nosebleeds. And then she walks away. And then everybody gives George a hanky. And Muffy literally says, don't worry, George. If Francine says it, it must be so. Like, <laughs> the power that Francine wields is terrifying. Yeah, it's it's like very it's almost midsummer in like the, she's she's just the gold she's the golden god. It's it's weird. Like it was just so it was it's just a little too clean, you know? And then the episode yeah, like, actually like ends What 9-year-old yeah. has a hanky? <laughs> I feel like that's also a, a good question. I feel like I feel question. like no one under like 68 has a handkerchief. Yeah. That's a that's an absolutely valid observation. And then we get one more scene where Francine's biking away, and she says, "I don't feel queasy anymore," and then continues bicycling. <laughs> but, uh, and that, that, I, that, I, ladies that, and gentlemen, lesson learned: we are out of here. Yeah, I'm not entirely sure what the lesson was supposed. Like, I feel like there's throughout the episode, I wasn't entirely sure what they were trying to imply was Francine's, like, stomach problem. Yeah, I agree, Andrew. I had the same issue. Because at first it almost seems like... I feel like it's almost she's afraid of throwing up again, and that's, like, a psychological thing. But then later it almost seems like she's reacting to how how they're treating George, and that's what sets her off, which doesn't make as much sense to me. No, so so we're to understand that God heard her. She, God saw her her selfless act and uh, took the sickness away from her. She's yeah. learned her lesson. Anyway, we'll we'll talk about that when we get into long form thoughts on the episode. Uh, please do stick around uh, after this break. The three of us are going to be talking about talking some chicken. Stick around. And now a word from me, Lucas Mancini of Elwood City Limits. Don't forget to chat with your Elwood City Limits pals on social media with facebook.com slash Elwood City Limits or at ECL Podcast on Twitter. We also have a Tumblr, elwoodcitylimits.tumblr.com, and an Instagram, at Elwood City Limits. If you want to send us a question, send us an email and get it read on the show 
at elwoodcitylimits at gmail.com. You can find the entire episode archive at elwoodcitylimits.libsyn.com or on your favorite podcast service. If we aren't on your preferred podcast app, let us know, and we'll do our best to get on it. Thanks, as always, for supporting us here at Elwood City Limits. Now, back to the show. And we're back with uh, Andrew Power from the Samurai Pizza Cast, and we're talking about not pizza, but Sue Ellen chickens out. And heavy emphasis on the chicken. Well, actually, we're going to start here with uh, an, a different food altogether than pizza and chicken. Uh, we're back at the Sugar Bowl, and Sue Ellen is digging into a big pig. So my first three notes for this episode, uh, Will and Andrew, are in all caps as follows. Yeah. Um, this is insane, followed by, this is problematic, question mark. <laughs> Followed by this is simply beyond the pale. So the the this is insane is in reference to the sugar bowl is getting sold. Yeah, it's, it's a it's 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 a it's an earth shaker. It's an institution. Yeah, man. It's it's man. It just goes to show you that capitalism it puts its fingers into everything until it owns everything you love. Though I will say the moment's kind of lessened by the fact that have we seen this odor of the sugar bowl before? I don't we, think. We, to clarify, this is the very first time we're seeing Mr. Okay. Menino. Oh, wow. Menino. <laughs> okay. okay, I thought as much. I was like, I'm pretty sure we've never seen this character before. I really just took that as at face value and thought, I don't remember this character, but surely he must show up all of the time. <laughs> no, no Andrew, never see, this before the, this. This is the analysis you can come to expect by two people that have seen every episode prior to this one. <laughs> so he's never showed up before, and for all we know, never shows up again. <laughs> so anyway, uh, uh, the this is insane is in reference, of course, to the idea of the Sugar Bowl, which has been a mainstay of Arthur being sold. Uh, the, well, this, the this is problematic refers to something that happens soon afterwards. <laughs> well, and so the, the Sugar Bowl being sold, it's like you almost don't even realize that the Sugar Bowl's owned because it's like the kids are in there like every time they're not in school and they're getting all of these ice creams and sodas and everything. It's just like it almost seems like a like a like a uh, like a socialist collective of just like just giving supplying kids with ice cream because it's the right thing to do it's, it's just true <laughs> in the episode like, where in the episode where they're breaking down all their different uh, uh um i think we talked about this briefly in the episode where they're breaking down their allowances and we were yeah. kind of like running the numbers on their week-to-week incomes and i was <laughs> like there's no way they're going to be able to afford all these these seems it seems nightly milkshakes that they're getting from the sugar bowl Exactly, and a big pig here has got to be in excess of five dollars. I know it's like two thousand two. Yeah, I mean, but it, still, five dollars was like what three fifty in two thousand two dollars, something like that. I don't know, but uh, so the big pig here. Uh, I mean, I, I, Lucas, I'm pretty sure I know the answer to this one, but raspberry ice cream with double fudge, pecans and walnuts, and cherries. Would you eat it? Of course, of course I would. Andrew, uh, so Andrew, we usually, uh, Arthur likes to do this thing where um, it's usually actually at the Brains ice cream shop where it'll be like most of it is pretty delicious sounding and there'll be like one gross thing thrown in on the recipe. Mm -hmm. uh, and usually Will will ask me if I would eat it because the answer is almost always yes, whereas Will is a little bit more... Um, Cons conservative. Yeah, rightfully so when it comes to the concoctions. But this one just seems all good. Yeah, this is a pretty standard, like, no, nothing wrong with this one. 
I gotta ask, actually, how how are the pizzas looking on Samurai Pizza Cats? Like, are they are they looking real real edible, or do they are are we doing like pizzas like the Ninja Turtles, where it's like, oh, bro, it's motor oil and chocolate. Oh yeah, they lean pretty heavy into what is the grossest thing we can say is on this pizza. You don't actually see oh. a lot of the pizzas I've noticed, but they definitely uh, narrate a lot of gross stuff on them. I mean, not Man. to not to steal your show's thunder too much, but like, what percentage is it samurai? What percentage is it pizza? And what percentage is it cats? Would you say? Hmm. hmm. I mean, that's tricky because the samurai part's already in question because in the original Japanese <laughs> show, it's ninjas. So technically, okay. there's not even any samurai. So, so ninjas samurai, it's the same thing. So, so you're saying zero percent samurai? If you want to be technical, zero percent samurai. <laughs> Zero zero percent samurai, <laughs> maybe like ten percent pizza and ninety percent cats is is kind of the breakdown. Yeah, I think that's probably accurate. <laughs> that's embarrassing. Oh my god. I mean, so it, it Arthur be like... I, Arthur has like no speaking roles in this episode. In our defense, yeah. So zero hey. percent Arthur on this one. Hey, totally fair. Uh, <laughs> uh, so, yeah, the Sugar Bowl is Mr. Menino is selling the Sugar Bowl to a uh, nationwide fast food chicken restaurant called Chicken Lickin'. And the, uh, <laughs> in case it wasn't on the nose enough, the mascot of which is named Beauregard Poulet, now, who is well, a well, top... I specially request none of us do impressions of Beauregard Poulet, and if you could just kind of oh, maybe man. somehow, if you could just somehow put the audio from the episode, I I, I feel like they got to hear it from the horse's mouth, because this is just like, I still haven't made up my mind if this is problematic or not. All I know is that it really makes me like, I gotta, I'm making that emoji where he's like, hmm, <laughs> right. hmm, this is big, hmm, I, okay, Teen talk, t- teen phrase of the week. I was definitely having a bruh moment uh, okay. <laughs> watching this. This I, I couldn't believe what I was seeing. Hi, y'all. I'm Borgod Poulet. And this here is the very part where my daddy gave me the secret recipe for his chicken licking chicken. So, uh, so what, 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 what was it that I, I, I'm not, I don't know if I'm following. Like, what was it? I, that... I just think Mr. Beauregard here is probably some sort of uh, stereotype uh, of I, I, I again, I don't want to, I don't, don't, I don't really want to get into the specifics of it. I know it's obviously like kind of a play on the classic KFC Colonel. Um, yeah. but there's something about the characterizing, oh, I'm watching this, this footage back. I don't know. <laughs> there's something about this where I'm like, some part of this must not be okay. Okay. Fair enough. I mean, he's, just, he's a refined kind, Southern kind of, gentleman. I don't know what your problem is. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. Okay. F- Lucas, for you, this is a big, I, I want you to know this is a big ask, but I, I will know, not. I know you were excited. I know, but I'm like, please, please spare us. I'm. I'm 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 like I'm like punching my leg over here. It's going to be really difficult, but for you, anything. All right. So Beauregard Poulet is he's wearing like a blue suit and top hat, clearly meant to be a Colonel Sanders takeoff. And we actually get a chicken licking commercial, which I got to say is seems very true to life of like a fat the the outrageousness of a fast food commercial. Where it's like the the Ugh, the <clears throat> the southern uh, <laughs> plantation house that yes. he's 
that he's on, like the the front of it comes down and it turns into a dance floor, and they're like they look like they're doing the Millie Rock a little bit. These chicken dancers. <laughs> Yeah, the the chili, the chili the chicken dancers Millie rock on any block. You know what I'm saying? They're 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 there with two Millie and Playboy Cardi, and they're they're ready to go. And he's talking about like the chicken, the like the new chicken bites are two ninety nine, and his new chicken sandwich is a dollar ninety nine, and it, it it really seems like this this is a very good representation of fast food commercials. I, it reminded and, me of all the like the you know the chicken sandwich gate like all that chicken sandwich talk that was happening on Twitter a couple of weeks right. ago. Um, came I was like, oh, I guess I guess this whole like people obsessing over chicken sandwiches. It's not really a new thing. It's kind of always been there. It was just kind of uh, uh, you know peaks and valleys, if you will, in terms of chicken talk. 2002, uh, 2019, it's all the same. There was that fried chicken shortage a couple of years ago. I forgot about that too. You know. I, we're getting tricked by capitalism again, Will. <laughs> we keep thinking like, oh, the chicken sandwich is such a big deal. There's a shortage of chicken sandwiches. This keeps happening. How are we I, so I foolish? Because fried chicken's good, man. It's good. I had a chicken sandwich for lunch today. I wasn't even thinking about oh, for- it. Oh my god! Uh, now I just I just had dinner and it was chicken. Oh god! How deep oh, does no. it go, man? <laughs> They've got me. Oh, yeah, I know. I feel like uh, I'm Roddy, Rowdy Roddy Piper and they live. I'm just going to, like, put on the glasses and it's just going to say, like, buy chicken. Chi- buy chicken. <laughs> which, is act- which actually you probably should be doing more of. Uh, by the way, they have a shot of, like, the meal that's, uh, like, the typical, the quote-unquote typical meal you would have a chicken licking. And it's, like, you know, the chicken burger, the chicken fries. And there's a slice of brie next to that food. <laughs> Come on, people. Get, like, come. Like, like I, it's, you know, it's like when it's a, a cereal that's like, oh, it's part of this balanced breakfast if you eat two apples and an orange and orange juice. And it's just like, you're not eating that with your Pop-Tarts. I'm just, you're just not. <laughs> that's all you're eating. Well, just I mean, getting real. Now, now I might consider adding fried chicken to the next charcuterie board I put together. You know what I mean? Ooh. Oh, dude. Actually. I might consider that, Pop-Tarts mm. on one. Oh, mm. <laughs> this, this sounds like a terrible charcuterie board, but I'm listening. <laughs> <laughs> so Sue Ellen is very incensed by all this, which good for her. And uh, her, she gets the idea from her mother to organize a protest which she uh, tries to get her friends in on. But, man, the that sweet sound of corporate America is just whispering sweet nothings into their ear. They can't help but talk about the menu for chicken licking, which they all love so much. Uh, I, uh, I, I related to this. I mean, the amount of, like, 45-minute conversations I've had with friends over what's our favorite dollar menu McDonald items, like... It's like one of those memes where it's like, uh, uh, you know, people discussing, I don't know, politics, and it's like everybody, like, fighting in the mud, and then it's like people discussing the McDonald's dollar menu, and it's like a picture of, like, the UN of everybody in a circle, like, calmly talking to one another. Like, that's like when me and my friends are talking about, okay, yes, so when you are drunk and you were in a McDonald's, what do you get? And I'm like, well, obviously, the move is to get a junior chicken, a McDouble, and a large fry so you can sample all the delights the McDonald's mm. has oh, to offer. that. That's great. Like that's I I can't think of a better answer than that. My I'm no you know no I I wouldn't change a thing. I would not change a thing. No notes. Live your truth. If you if you really want to have the surf and turf style, that's when you throw in the fish fillet. If you want to be a big baller. Ugh. 
I is, well, I. <laughs> Keep meaning to have a. I keep meaning to have a fish fillet one no, of these days. No, it's not. But it's not. Get, it's not great. It, it, but again, then I get to McDonald's and I'm like, no, I want something I know I'll like. Uh, fish fillets are the official McDonald's menu item for people who have handkerchiefs. If you know what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> I know exactly what you're saying. Uh, so yeah, Sue Ellen's kind of give getting a. Uh, not getting a huge response out of everybody, even though the Sugar Bowl is going to be going out of business, they can't help but think about how good Chicken Lickin' is. And Sue Ellen has this idea, she has this fantasy of how the protest will go, of like how Beauregard Poulet is literally driving a bulldozer up to the Sugar Bowl, but they chain themselves to the restaurant and manage to move his like move him to tears enough that he decides to not only not destroy the sugar bowl but also sell only healthy food at chicken licking <laughs> from here on so, which it it's 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 cute in its innocence so this is just the end of the muppet movie right <laughs> this is just doc hopper showing up to that old west town to kill kermit the frog <laughs> and then he gives a big speech now, 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 Lucas. Now, Lucas. I, I know what I promised, and I'm. I won't say it in the voice, but th- this imagination of Beauregard Poulet literally says, "I do declare." Like an "I do oh. declare" in this day and age is unthinkable. I know, but it's like Dizzy uh, Zabero talk about this a lot too. It's like you ever just see Foghorn Leghorn and be like, "When do we think this was okay?" <laughs> <laughs> Look, he's just a small town lawyer. That's all he is. <laughs> I, I think he even has suspenders on. Like this is this is a bit much, uh, especially watching it with fresh eyes. But yeah, I, I thought I thought this whole imagination was very funny and just how idealistic it was. Also, very um, very timely in terms of organizing a protest. Uh, I know I, that's what I was actually kind of thinking. I was like, is this? I mean, it's kind of misguided in that. Like, sure, saving a s- small business, a small family business, is probably a, a, a as good of a uh kind of a plight as any in terms of like yeah like like andrew said it's very muppets movie like we got to save the community center we got to like save this small business it's kind of uh important to all of us we got to stop this big business from coming in but i mean it did kind of remind me of the imagery we were seeing in halifax this past week with you know all the kids organizing with the climate protests and stuff like that and yeah. uh for a moment there that's not really what this episode's about for but for a moment i was like oh is this is this arthur episode kind of espousing the benefits of community organizing and, and protesting and why that's important and positive uh, it kind of is but not really they, they yeah. missed the mark on some aspects of that so that it doesn't quite <laughs> add up but they're trying it was 2002 i like i feel like we weren't gonna get any better than this if this were made today then the story might be a little different Ooh, i would love to see an arthur episode about you know the kids uh, tackling the climate crisis I, I really truly would and i feel like you know current day arthur that's not too mature for it or anything like that i i think that's well within their wheelhouse given what we've seen some of the topics covered in the recent episodes i agree but then i also wonder if they would be uh, not looking to court controversy because if there's one thing, if there's if parents can complain about a gay rat wedding, they sure can complain about that damn commie Arthur oh, saying geez. that the <laughs> it's talking about climate change. I don't know. I, like I would love it too, but yeah. I, I wouldn't be I wouldn't be surprised if they're a little bit antsy about. Listen, let's just hope the people who I, I don't think that the people who call into News 95.7 uh, listen to Arthur. So I think we're <laughs> uh, we might be OK, hopefully. 
Yeah, we need to do this for the kids. Arthur, much like the Wu-Tang Clan, is for, for the, the children. Kids, for the yeah. children. Uh, so, so Sue Ellen has this very idealistic uh, thought about how the protest is going to go. And bless her little heart. Uh, so she can't exactly get everybody together. Uh, in the end, she only manages to recruit Buster and Binky. Uh, a bunch of people back out because they have like other commitments and stuff like that. Uh, Sue Ellen encourages everybody to uh, not eat a chicken licking anymore. And at first they just, they kind of agree, but then brain comes to her and admits that he broke down. And my question here is he mentions that he had like some manner of menu item with the cool pinata sauce. What manner of sauce do you think cool pinata would be? I don't I don't know. I mean, I you know, usually, Hmm. So I, like, I, cause I, cause I, cause the cool made me think cool ranch, but the pinata makes me think that maybe it's like a mild salsa. Yeah, cool pinata sounds like what you would call Mexican food for white people. <laughs> it's just, it's just mayonnaise. That's what the cool pinata. It's a pinata, is. but don't worry, it's not spicy. What? I, what in uh, in uh, New Mexico is chicken licking called pollo licking or yeah. something? Oh, it's Los Pollos Hermanos. Oh. Nobody. Okay. No, 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 Breaking I Bad know, movies. I know. I know. I know. Breaking Bad movies coming out soon. Uh, so in the end, it's Sue Ellen, Buster, and Binky. And Buster and Binky aren't so much like committed to the cause. Like, you know, they're not really in it. We also get a moment here again of Buster being not very good with uh, not the best in English. It's save our sugar bowl instead of save our sugar bowl. Yeah, and she, little... she gives it the the like it movie treatment of she turns it into a uh, a V, draws the V over it like the Losers Club. And uh, there's a there's a nice little jazzy number in this. Uh, uh, there's like a montage here of Sue Ellen handing out like uh, uh, flyers and stuff. And it's, there's just a I really like the the new music here in this episode. And there's a there's a funny visual gag of the mother of the triplet. Like she gives a, an ad to each of these triplets and then doesn't give one to the mother. Exactly. <laughs> uh, exactly. Like, so exactly. The kids. What do we say? It's for the kids. And at one point, uh, Sue Ellen and Buster and Binky are practicing chants in her front yard. And who who pulls up? Who would be the most in bed with big business but Muffy Crosswire? Muffy Alice Crosswire. I love this scene. <laughs> did you? Oh, man. So... Uh, <laughs> So 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 tell me tell me about it. What, what did you like about it? I mean, Muffy just pulls up in the limo and just says, "Hey, like you know, let's just go for a drive. Just me and you. Let's have a talk. It's fine." Like the like most powerful corporate lobbyist, and basically tries to bribe <laughs> bribe Sue Ellen into giving up the cause with I think it's like a novelty watch. Yeah, a, a Polly Locket watch, which is kind of a, a toy brand within the show. Yeah. Uh, she just yes. does like the whole like, "Oh, what's this on the ground here?" And like, office it's like, "Please have a nice cup of cocoa." <laughs> and uh, you know, I, on this cold day, it's 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 one of the most like Muffy is pure slithery here. It's really really oily. Like we know that Muffy is you know the rich girl. She's not got a lot of scruples, but even for her, this is pretty low. Uh, but it but it was very true to character and funny as well. But Sue Ellen refuses to sell out, 
good girl. And, uh, and, and Muffy very pro taking the sugar bowl down for somebody who spends all her time in there. But I think it has to do with the fact that like, does she say something about her dad owning like a stake in it or something? Or? Yes, yes. Her her dad wants to actually put in a much more. I think she describes it as a much more classy or dignified franchise. Taco <laughs> something. Talk. Yeah, it's like a Mexican oh, place oh. that he wants to open there instead of the chicken place. So it's like a KFC Taco Bell, almost like a chicken licking whatever the heck. <laughs> they they could probably work that out. Uh, there is a great cutaway of just like how Muffy's making fun of the fact that Sue Ellen was only able to recruit Binky and Buster and it goes back to them and they're just jumping in a leaf pile. At, at which point you realize the limo is only driven like 10 feet. um so they are doing this protest at a chicken licking opening in the elwood city mall which also has a meat beauregard poulet stand and (laughs) it just ends up being the three of them and sue ellen's parents holding the banner and it's it, it does it does portray the fact that you know being at a protest isn't really like it's tough. Like they, their voices are getting tired. They keep they are you know tired. Their arms are tired from holding up the signs. It's hard work. Yeah, it's thankless, but someone's got to do it. And Sue Ellen it's, has stepped up to the plate. It's very true. And then a news team comes running in, and Sue Ellen thinks it's for them, but it is to cover the new chicken licking. But in reality, I got to believe their protest would at least get some coverage. It's true. This whole moment had me think about like when how the Five Guys recently. I was trying to think of the last time like there was kind of a hubbub about a fast food franchise opening in our city, and it was that Five Guys that opened up, and it got me thinking about like because there was lines. I remember that first those first couple days, it was really hard to get in there. Yeah, and I was thinking about how. If someone was like, if there was three people protesting the five guys, would it have made the news? And I'm trying to think that, you know, sometimes we have, there's like, uh, um, like, um, like animal rights activists that protest certain things. I know that they protested the uh, rib fest that happened this summer. Um, mm-hmm. And I was trying to think that if like someone like that was protesting the five guys, would have they gotten news time? And, the, and I think you're right, Will. I think they probably would have. At least like a yeah. brief mention. Yeah, I feel I feel like they they would cover it's like, but there was also controversy with this chicken licking opening. Or, then again, you know, then again, Beauregard himself was present. Yes, Be- uh, Be- which yeah, Beauregard was present to do a meeting that essentially equates to like a meet Santa at the mall attraction, <laughs> but you're meeting the chicken mascot. <laughs> It's like I, I was gonna make the joke if like Mary Brown showed up, oh, but I was oh. at the I opening mean, of a Mary Brown's and Mary Brown did show up. Oh my up. god! I did, I did not know Mary Brown was still alive. She she's not. It was an actor. Oh oh, see, it shows I'm just like a kid with Santa. I'd be like, oh my god, that's Mary Brown. Yeah, don't tell me that. Let me live in this fantasy. <laughs> now, I'm well, sorry. Was was that on a Monday? Was it was a big Mary Monday? It was not. It was a weekend. Wow! It was a Saturday. Wow! A Monday opening's a little hard to uh, to organize. You got to admit. Look, I'll take the day off work for Mary Brown's opening. That's fine. <laughs> so the so the protest does not go over very well. Unfortunately, everybody is in love with chicken licking, and uh, so Sue Ellen doesn't have a lot of sway. We actually cut away here to uh, Arthur D.W. and Grandma Thora at the at the Sugar Bowl, remembering. Uh, when Grandma Thora brought them there for the first time. So, like, we get the gag of, like, Arthur gets a double scoop ice cream when he's, like, four or something, and the uh, top scoop falls off, 
or both scoops fall off and Mr. Menino give, uh, gives him a new one. And then it happens again with DW when she's like a baby and he gives her one as well. DW, um, Grandma Thoris says like, I, I brought you here like, uh, almost three years ago. So DW is in a stroller getting a double scoop ice cream. One and a half, I feel like is a little too young for ice cream, especially that much. I don't think it's too old for ice cream, but it, like the the mechanism to get too, them the ice I, I'm, cream. I'm, yeah, I, I'm sorry. I mean, too young. Yeah, I just wrote an. I, I have mean, a note uh, in mind again, here that know. just says, "Don't give cones to babies," because you're just yeah. asking for trouble. That's yeah. That's a great Put point. It in a I bowl. think. I think that. Yeah, absolutely, and yeah, and serve and serve it to them. Uh, very very well said. Um, and we also get a little flashback here of Grandma Thora's early times at the sugar bowl when Mr. Menino was just sweeping the floors. He hadn't made his way up to owner yet. And we get like this, this young fifties, uh, grease kid, grandma Thora. Yeah. yeah. She was in the pink ladies apparently. Yeah. I loved this. I wish we could have seen more of it. She asks, she's like, come on, Fred, let's dance. And he's like, I don't know, Thora, I got to finish cleaning. And they both kind of dance a jitterbug. This was really cute. I uh, uh, I kind of felt bad for Mr. Benito because it seems like he's been working at the Sugar Bowl his entire adult life uh, ever <laughs> since being like a teenager. And I was like, dang, Mr. Benito almost, if it wasn't for this dance, he might have almost completely wasted his youth mopping the floors of the, the, the Sugar Bowl. Well, he's a dedicated small businessman. I get maybe he kind of came into it when the previous owner like willed it to him or something. And he just never wanted to disappoint uh, the guy who gave him his first job. I don't. There's a story here. Like I feel like I wish we had. We need to establish Mister Menino more. Yeah, despite, yeah I wish we had, never I, showing I wish he... up before. He has a rich backstory <laughs> <laughs> that we're that we're creating whole cloth. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so, and then we go back to the protest, and Sue Ellen marches to the front of the line to meet Beauregard Poulet, and uh, I'm also, I'm a little surprised that this kid's show revealed the fact that he is just an actor. Like, she goes up to him and is just like, please, Mr. Poulet, don't, you know, don't buy the sugar bowl, and he's like, listen, kid, like, he takes the mustache off and everything, and it's just like, Beauregard <laughs> Poulet is just a character, I'm just an actor, and I was like... Wow, that's a little behind the curtain for a kid's show. He's exposing like, I, I the almost... business. He's exposing the business, Will. <laughs> He's breaking kayfabe. <laughs> oh, Jim Cornette was going crazy watching this in 2002. <laughs> how, are you supposed, how are you supposed to believe that Beauregard Poulet's a real person if he's taking his mustache off in front of a bunch of people? <laughs> Thank you, F, you bye. You know, that kind yeah. of stuff. Uh, so, Jim Cornette totally totally eats a chicken like him. Yes, of course. See, Will, the Jim Cornette voice is bought, is absolutely allowed. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah, we know where that's coming yeah, from. Yeah, exactly. That's just good, <laughs> clean fun is doing a Jim Cornette impression. Uh, it's 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 expected almost. Will have I ever uh, have I ever shown you the video where Jim Cornette's talking about the time he spent in Halifax, Nova Scotia? I don't think so. No, okay. I have to. I have to send you this video. He says some things about Halifax that are not repeatable on the Arthur podcast. But okay. I, I highly. It's he's he's discussing uh, uh, the Patriot versus Bret Hart in Halifax, yeah. Nova Scotia. Uh, from Ra's War. Yeah, and it is an incredible video. It's actually it's the incident where he makes fun of Kevin Dunn's buck teeth. 
Oh, really? That took place, that infamous piece of WWF backstage history took place right here in Halifax. Oh, okay, I I think I found it here on YouTube. Uh, yeah, no, nah, I can't. I cannot repeat this uh, <laughs> this title on the air. But uh, Jim Cornette Halifax, I think, has gotten me everything I need. So I will be listening to that afterwards. Uh, so Ellen essentially is just like, well, at least we can say that we tried, kind of thing. Goes to the Sugar Bowl. And everybody's in there celebrating, and Arthur just says, Mr. Menino decided not to sell the place. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> what were you saying so about these episodes that, wrapping up real quick? <laughs> yeah, this episode not only wrapped up really quickly, but Sue Ellen didn't really do anything. Like, she t- obviously, it was a combined effort kind of of everybody talking about like their good memories at the sugar bowl it was really more arthur grandma and grandma thorin dw did more to sway mr menino than sue ellen did oh mr menino did it because he's trying he's he's trying he's trying to get in grandma's good graces again he's been thinking about that dance for a long time oh man see we now, now we know what really caused him not to sell it okay but yeah it just seems a little i don't know (laughs) <laughs> like Sue Ellen didn't do much. All right, so now's the point of the episode where we look back on uh, the ones we talked about. Uh, so let's start off here with Vomitrocious. Uh, Andrew, if you don't mind, I would love to hear your take on this. Uh, I think I said it earlier on, but I think it gets a little confused about what exactly it's trying to get across with Francine. Like, how she's supposed to be relating to George and like what exactly is causing her nausea and stuff that mm-hmm. by the, by the end of it just kind of gets wrapped up and doesn't really kind of close the loop on itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lucas. Uh, I, I agree completely with Andrew is that like, there's moments of this. I'm kind of into like how disgusting this episode is. Cause it really sure. took me aback. Like the opening of this episode, just like flashing black between blood and puke and like quick succession. Like I was into all that stuff. And I also think there was a lot of really good lines in this episode. You know, um, Francine saying, I want to bleed all over your food. Come over here. I need to contaminate you. I loved uh, Buster just kind of trying to kill Francine with kindness the entire episode as well. But I totally agree with Andrew's criticisms that, like, I too was confused about, like, what was triggering Francine's puking? Like, why did it go away? Like, so was it a physiological response? Was it, you know, a response to do with, you know, her friends being embarrassed around her friends? Or was it has to do with looking at George's blood? Like, that part was really, really muddled for me. I, I, I understand kind of what they were going for, but I think it was kind of flawed in the execution. So though this mom- this episode had a lot of moments that I really, really enjoyed, I think as a whole it, it kind of slightly misses the mark and is a little bit un, a little bit messy in its execution. Uh, I mean, how uh, apropos that this is the episode that I would describe as messy, right? Mm. Mm. Yeah, it didn't really do it for me. It, like, what really, what I, what didn't sit with me was just how out of character a bunch of people really seemed, or regressive in some cases. I feel like I'm really. I'm really not here for any more episodes where Francine's the bully. Like, I just think we're kind of past that. And every time we do, it's just like, man, we've been here before. And, like, I'm trying to like her. So, and and especially with everybody else kind of joining in with it, it just feels like it's a little bit too mean uh, for an Arthur episode. And you guys make some good points about, like, exactly how Francine's uh, vomiting really worked. And in the end, it was just like, 
we also kind of had to invent George being in this weird social position in order to push this message we were talking about. It all just seemed like we got here, but not naturally. Like we were trying to push the message more than like have it evolve naturally from the characters interacting with each other. And it, and, and the ending of it seemed incredibly artificial of just like, okay, everybody's friends because Francine said so. So yeah, I, I, I wasn't, I, I'm not crazy about this one. Uh, th- but there were some funny moments to be sure, and I think you could say that for both of these episodes is that even if we didn't like them uh, all together, there are some parts of them that are either memorable or funny at least. Um, and and that kind of goes the same for Sue Ellen Chickens Out. I I think you made a great point, Lucas, of like I would genuinely really like to see um, an Arthur episode and. You know, now that I mention it, we kind of did in the Scare Your Pants Off Club episode in the first season where it's like Arthur doing a uh, like a petition. And and there's often talks about like doing petitions and stuff like that, which is the first time when I was a kid I learned about that sort of thing. But I think Arthur could have an interesting opportunity to do that today where, you know, something like uh, strikes or like organized action is a bit more of a loaded thing and to teach kids that it's you know that it's it's a good thing and uh uh especially with some of the um with some of the issues that we have here and i think it's actually weirdly prescient that sue ellen is taking on this this uh this big chain restaurant from taking over local businesses uh i i i just found that really interesting and in how it actually still kind of resonates but in the end it kind of felt like a weird exercise of like Sue Ellen got all in she she got up in arms about it and then in the end didn't affect the plot almost at all it was just kind of in, in fact it's kind of more notable that she failed and Mr. Menino just decided in the end to not sell it based on nothing that she did so I was just like well then why did we why did we do this I mean it was it was fun like parts of it were fun especially like no matter where you where you end up on it the Beauregard Poulet like I, I just think that accent's kind of funny, but perhaps I was into it. <laughs> problem, problematic, problematic or not, we could save that discussion for another day. I mean, I mean, problematic uh, as it is, I'd be lying to myself if I wasn't. My jaw was on the floor during that whole. Op- <laughs> again, I think th- this episode. Uh, again, I like the intention. I like the idea of trying to educate kids on the value of organizing. Though, again, I think this is another case of it kind of misses the mark in the end. Uh, but. Uh, this is a case where if this episode kept up that gusto from the first five minutes, this would be on my list of favorite episodes of the season. But I, I think it doesn't really live up to that, that first five. It really hits you over the head with that first five minutes. It just kind of fizzles out to the end and then to a conclusion where uh, Swellen didn't really have much to do with anything uh, in terms of saving the Sugar Bowl, like you pointed out earlier. Mm-hmm. Andrew? Yeah, I, I think I like this episode a fair bit. Like, there's some <laughs> decent comedy going through it. There is just like, a couple issues with the main idea that they're trying to get across, which I think is good for the most part, but, like, we didn't really get into it, but, like, there's a flaw almost immediately in that it's not a story about, like, a big chain coming in and trying to take this restaurant. It's about an old man wanting to retire and then a kid saying, no, you're not allowed. Yeah. (laughs) That's right. That's a great point. I I did think it was kind of uh, a really weirdly melancholy at the end of the episode where he's like, with customers like this, I'm going to be a millionaire. And it's like, oh, geez, this guy's like old. He should probably like – He's he's going to die in that restaurant. 
<laughs> oh man! Especially with the prices more... he's probably charging these kids for those milkshakes, and the fact that they could buy a, a milkshakes every day of the week. Maybe the real answer was is that there is no there is no ethical consumption in Elwood City. It's just like mm. you can either have the chicken restaurant or you can have this old guy who is charging kids hand over fist to pump them full of sugar. <laughs> or you could have had that taco place, but nobody wanted to listen to Muffy. So, yeah. Uh, okay, so there you have it. That's an that's uh, an episode of Arthur here in season eight. Andrew, it was really good having you here. Now, I would really love for you to plug anything that you have. But before that, I want to ask you a question. Uh, since this might have been your first experience with Arthur in a long time, mm-hmm. what did you think of it as an adult? Uh, I think it still holds up pretty good. Like, it's definitely been a few years since I've seen an episode, but, like, it's... Uh, I think it holds up pretty much as I remember it. Like, it's a lot... Especially at the time, I think it was a lot more clever and written to a bit of a higher level than some of the other shows in its age range. Which I think is probably why it's kind of held on so long. It's a lot like Sesame Street or other things that stick around longer because they just have a little more going on under the hood than some other like preschool type stuff. Hmm. Well, I'm glad. I'm glad that it was a good experience, and uh, we always love. We always kind of love to tell people who come on the show of just like, yeah, Arthur's actually like pretty good as, as an adult. It kind of holds up, uh, and I wonder if we may be able to say the same about your podcast. So please uh, let us know where everybody can find you, including your podcast. Uh, yeah, if you want to listen to the Samurai Pizza Cast, you can just look that up on Apple Music, on Spotify, or. Uh, I think it's just pizzacast.libsyn.com if you want to go right to the source for it. Uh, you can follow it on Twitter. It's just at pizzacast. Or I post a lot of uh, updates on the show and screen caps and digging in on some weird background characters and things like that. Uh, but if uh, if you like this show, I think Arthur is a much more gentle, sort of kind show. And I think that sort of reflects in your guys' podcast. Pizza Cat uh, Pizza is a much more frantic really weird show and i think that kind of bleeds into our podcast in a similar way but uh i think if you if you like this type of show i think it's probably up your alley and it's a really fascinating show to pick apart to try and uh reverse engineer how exactly it came into being in much as in 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 kind of a similar way where it's like for us arthur is is uh, something that we enjoy revisiting because there's often more there than you'd think. But I, I think uh, in a different way, Pizza Cats is kind of the same, but in terms of just how off the wall it can be and just like, I can't believe that this was on TV for North American kids in the early 90s. And just the the whole story of it, I really think is worth talking about and worth you know poking fun at as well. So I think that's a really cool idea. Yeah, thanks. Now, can I ask, did you get to work on Teen Titans Go to the Movies? Uh, Yes, actually. I worked on uh, the first two seasons of Teen Titans Go, uh, and then I went off to some other projects, but I did actually come back to just do a little uh, helping out on the movie, uh, I guess, last year. I watched that uh, on a plane, and that was the first experience I had with with Teen Titans Go. Oh, (laughs) really? So you jumped all the way into the, the deep end on that? Yeah, I hope I wasn't missing any big time lore. Like I, I watched the original Teen Titans show, but uh, uh, you know, I, 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 I really liked the energy that it was bringing. Yeah, that that show is very sort of folds back in on itself in a self referential way, pretty early on, and never kind of gets out of that. 
Well, Andrew, uh, we have. it's been great having you here, and you're welcome back anytime as a friend of the show. Oh, thank you so much. I, I would certainly uh, extend an invitation to you guys as well once we sort of figure out how we handle guests on our show. We haven't nailed that down exactly, but I'll put it out there for the future. I would love, I would love, and I would love a reason to watch more Samurai Pizza Cats. I can't wait. To, I, I, I would genuinely love to do that show. I have no idea how I would react to seeing like a modern episode <laughs> or an episode today. Yeah. You know, like I would, I would love to revisit that. I, that sounds great. So that's Andrew Power, everybody of the Samurai Pizza Cast. Check it out, and thank you for listening to this episode of Elwood City Limits. Lucas, the next time that you and I are going to be here, it's going to be a bit of a different episode. I feel like this one we're going to be talking about is going to be a little bit more informative, a little bit more. Uh, we're going to be delving into a part of Arthur that I think people have been expecting for quite a while now. Because next time. Lucas, you and I are going to be getting a postcard from Buster. Whoa! Okay, we've been we've been waiting for this for a minute now. So we're going to be getting into a little bit of the history of the show. Uh, we, I, I mean, I think it's pretty safe to say we don't plan on covering postcards from Buster at least right now, the television show. So we're going to be talking about the postcards from Buster TV show. Uh, in the next episode, which I think kind of serves as like almost the backdoor pilot uh, for that for that particular show. And uh, we're going to be giving you uh, some of the information there, including some of the controversies that uh, came to light because of postcards from Buster. So I'm really I'm really excited. I think that's going to be a lot of fun. As do I. So that's an episode of Elwood City Limits for you. Uh, so for Lucas Mancini. Uh, ooh, I'm going to bleed on your food. And for special guest, Andrew Power. Uh, Keep it cheesy. We'll see you next time. I'm Will Young, by the way.